increased efforts to track down whistleblowers and the sources of leaks. The United Kingdom, 33rd, just down three points. So what, the Britain is 13 places ahead of us, ladies and gentlemen, in press freedom. Don't tell Glenn Greenwald, we're not number one. It is, um, it's something to celebrate. Everything is something to celebrate. That's, that's the New Orleans spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly, the Archdiocese of Milwaukee says it's prepared to set aside $4 million in its bankruptcy reorganization. Yes, the Archdiocese is bankrupt. Um, This is part of its plan to compensate clergy sexual abuse victims, an amount one victim called obscene in its stinginess. Milwaukee is one of 11 Roman Catholic dioceses nationwide to file for bankruptcy in the past decade alone. If approved by a judge, Milwaukee's plan would provide the smallest per-victim payments yet in these cases, $32,000 each for 125 victims. Other dioceses have paid victims hundreds of thousands of dollars, and Milwaukee victims said they thought four hundred k would have been a reasonable offer. So, it's not now Milwaukee is famous not just for the beer, but for the cheese, and slightly to the north in Dateline, Minneapolis, the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis said this week it has paid more than $8.8 million in the last 10 years over clergy sexual abuse and other misconduct by priests. The Archdiocese says about $3.2 million of that total went for room, board, and living expenses for priests and ex-priests accused of sexual abuse or other misconduct. That's a sweet deal. The Archdiocese is required by church law to care for such men. No, they're not under the heel of the Vatican. Another $2.5 million went to settlements for victims. Nearly $2.3 million paid for counseling and other support services. That accounts for 54% of the $8.8 million. So almost as much went to settlements for victims as went for room and board and living expenses for the uh, victimizers. The numbers don't include insurance payments. It's the most up-to-date accounting from the diocese through the end of fiscal year, June 30th, 2013. The figures don't reflect any expenses from a wave of fresh allegations that began last fall after a former church employee became a whistleblower and accused top church leaders of mishandling misconduct allegations against priests. Yes, deedly doodly. Um, We mentioned hope a moment ago. Now, change. The first of the first members of the board of directors of the Barack Obama Presidential Library, two of the three, first in, have strong ties to the private equity industry. This is what used to be called leveraged buyout guys. And increasingly, the private equity industry is not only taking over companies, stripping them, reselling them at a profit. It's also getting into into lending lending that the banks won't do anymore, and the private equity guys can do it and make a profit because they're unregulated. And I guess they're hoping to stay that way. That's why they're on the board of the Presidential Library Foundation. And also in news of change from The Intercept, for nine years the U.S. government refused to let a Stanford Ph.D. student named Rahina Ibrahim, please, back in the country after putting her on the no-fly list for no apparent reason. For eight years, the government 
Lawyers fought her request that she be told why. Last April, despite his promise in 2009 to do so only in the most extreme cases, Attorney General Eric Holder tried to block her case by asserting the state secrets privilege. You didn't hear me say that. Declaring under penalty of perjury that the information she wanted, quote, could reasonably be expected to cause significant harm to national security, unquote. Last week, a federal judge publicly revealed the government's explanation for her long ordeal. An FBI agent had, quote, checked the wrong box. Reason enough for state security privilege, ladies and gentlemen. Hope and change. Hello, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you.